Hello, and welcome to Makers.dev, episode number 75. Chris, 75 is three quarters of 100. Uh, yep. <laughs> you know how I know that? How, how do you know that? Because <laughs> I've been doing a lot of math recently, and so have you. Lots of things to do with circles and matrices. Matri matrices? Matrices. Uh, yep. it's, been a, it's been a very mathy uh, couple of weeks. Uh, I'd love to start by shouting out the people who shouted out us I felt really good. There were two things in particular that happened that were really cool. Uh, Nathaniel at Nathaniel S underscore dev. Nathan yeah, Nathaniel S underscore dev uh, said, just found the makers.dev podcast with at Chris Sharrett and at C. Genko. Fast becoming one of my favorites. Just listened to the last 10 episodes. Highly recommended. And uh, I felt really good. And then Johnny Tong replied to that saying 100 emoji. It's my number one right now. Perfect blend of tech business life tips and true crime investigation <laughs> which we have not had recently uh but yeah I, it just feels really good to like have other people reach out and uh sit there enjoying the thing we're doing so uh it's really cool yeah thanks for listening and thanks for talking about it on twitter and if you do it i'll probably talk about it on the podcast because <laughs> we don't have very many listeners so <laughs> but we do but like in objective terms on the internet it's not like millions of people. Like if you reach out to us, we notice. <laughs> it's it's really cool. Uh, oh, and then Ricky Pitt said, "Loving the pod of late, very funny," and that that felt really good too. Uh, oh, I had one other note on the, on the podcast, which was you tweeted for the last episode how GPS works, and it was just a timestamp of the YouTube video. I yeah. loved that clip. I rewatched it and was like, "Oh my gosh, this is great!" Um, so I I was reminded that I would love some sort of a process of being able to turn those sorts of clips into their own standalone YouTube videos, because that should be a standalone thing of if people are Googling how does GPS work. I don't, I don't know right now that they would be able to surface that. I think that the probability that it'll surface is much higher because we're doing the timestamping. And I think it would be much more accessible if it was its own video. I think YouTube prioritizes videos with titles as opposed to like, uh, segments of a video. And because we've been doing the timestamping, I, I think a lot of that could happen just like automatically of, you know, click this button to edit out this segment titled whatever the title of the segment is. So uh, I think that'd be good. And good job explaining how GPS works. It was a very good explanation. Uh, yeah, I think um, in clips.marketing, that makes sense. It's like a little button to uh, extract whatever your timestamp is as a, as a clip. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah, that'd be cool. Cool. What did you get up to this last week? Um, I, let's see, I got an A on my machine learning, uh, class. Congratulations. Um, so that feels good, but also like it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> so there's kind of a like, dichotomy there, but like in the grand scheme of the universe, nothing matters or what? No, it like, like, I don't think I'm ever going to like need a transcript for this. Like I mean, maybe if uh, I okay. you know, get particular jobs or something, but like, sure. yeah, it doesn't matter at all, but it feels good to get an A. So Chris, uh, it matters yeah. to me. I, that's oh, a okay. good job. Great. Thanks. <laughs> and also, like, now you know that you understand the material. You've mastered the material, and you, you have that foundation to rest on. Uh, if, if I had, like, of course, externally, if you just skate through this program and get Cs, uh, you get the piece of paper at the end. But I don't think I would feel satisfied that I had gotten all the stuff I needed to out of the course. You're getting your money's worth by getting an A because you're, right. you're proving yeah. that you've retained the maximum amount of knowledge. So good job. That's really cool. Yep. Uh, so I did that. And then I did a lot more Kaggle stuff, which uh, we sort of talked about um, last time. Uh, just more of that. 
um, I'm into really fiddly bits of things. So it's like, mm. you know, trying to hyper optimize things. Kaggle is interesting because you sort of solve the problem and you kind of solve it early usually. And then you sort of start competing for, you know, the third and fourth death decimal place with uh, other people on the leaderboard. Mm. And so that's kind of where I am in the one competition. Um, and in the GPS one, I'm like downloading a bunch of files and have to match them up to the routes and stuff. So yeah, it's real fiddly work. So I did a lot of that. Mm. Um, the more interesting one might be the Slack app store. So uh, yes. Slack got back to me and we went, I went back and forth with the reviewer a couple times and uh, then they returned with a, uh, uh, here's a list of things to do before we will accept you uh, list, mm. which are all fair. Um, so yeah, so I've been working on that a little as well. What are the things that the Slack app store wanted you to do to... Get in. Uh, the biggest things are like they're they're pretty strict about their APIs. So if you request access to an API, then you have to actually use it. Um, and so there were a few things. There was one thing where it was like their documentation showed two API uh, things as required, but it's really like either or, not both. So mm. like uh, that wasn't wasn't my fault. And then um, another one was like a feature that I had before and then removed from my app and forgot about. So like little stuff like that. But I mean, I guess it's good that they check, you know, you're only getting the API access that you actually need. Um, and then some other stuff like my terms and conditions needed a little changing. And then I needed, I needed a feature to like, at, at one point in my app, I did the MVP thing, which is like, if you want to change your Slack connection, then email me at this thing. And they're like, mm -hmm. no, you have to be able to change it from your app, you know, without emailing somebody. So stuff like that, um, stuff that makes sense. And uh, yeah, so I should get that done probably in a week, I imagine. Oh, great. Seems straightforward, and it's nice to have a to-do list of exactly what you need to get done. I'm curious about what the process looks like. Uh, so so you're going to fix these things and then get back to them. Are you going to have to be at the back of the line now, and it's going to take another six weeks? So I guess it takes two weeks once you... So once you're making changes to an application, it takes up to two weeks. So I guess okay. they prioritize those in some way. But yeah, the other one was almost, it was more than four weeks. So that was yeah. a long time. Yeah. Yeah. We've been waiting a while on that. Well, that's very exciting. What's looking forward the next step with this? You have your marketing page uh, with the fantastic buyer's guide of these live chat widgets. I don't think you've posted that anywhere. Is that right? Um, it's on my, I mean, you can get to it from my website. So like, yes, but yeah, it's on the pe homepage. People finding it on your website would... Like, I guess they would find it through Google if they're searching for that in uh, yeah. SEO, something, something. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, it's a section on the homepage, which is the buyer's guide. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, what, that, that's all it is right now. What's the marketing plan once this is on the Slack App Store? I guess once it's on the Slack App Store, that that is its own marketing thing. Uh... Yeah, so I want Yeah. So I want to see what the traffic is like from the Slack App Store. So that's part mm -hmm. of it. Yep. Um, I have other marketing things, too, but I'm also sort of TikToking between this and Kaggle stuff. And since... I really want to do pretty well in a couple of these cattle competitions like we talked about last time. Um, that's taking up a lot of time. So, mm. um, yeah. What would marketing look like for this? What's the, uh, ML is so much more fun than like, uh, right. you're, you're very close to Grandmaster. Um, once fast forwarding like a week or two, this is on the Slack app store. Uh, you have organic people signing up into it. What, what does the work look like that would push this forward from a marketing perspective? So this is really similar. If I wanted to do it well, it's really similar similar to what uh, Derek is doing with Savvy Cal. Mm. Um, like it's a sort of a similar price point and a sort of similar group of people who sort of need it. And, and like, and so a lot of what he's done. So a lot of just the building and public stuff, I think um, I could do a lot of that. Um, I could try stuff like ads and stuff, but I don't, 
I don't think the, the price point's not high enough for that to work very well. Mm. Um, I could also just reach out to a bunch of people. Like I could do cold outreach for this, um, mm. especially for the first, you know, 100 customers or something. Mm. So those are all things I should do. Um, but they do take a lot of time. Yeah. And uh, so I probably I won't be able to do them until probably August if I want to do really well. Like these ML competitions end in July. So yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know what to do. I'm, I'm reminded of like a, a, a cold outreach strategy I was thinking of for a tool that would make it uh, that, that would inline mail to links. So it was going to go through websites and uh, well, as a customer, if you had mail to links and you wanted to change that into an inline form where people could just enter their email address and, and send it right there, mm. uh, you would have been able to just paste in a line of JavaScript and then all your mail to links would turn into these forms. I never actually did it, but I came up with a cool marketing idea for it, which was like, I could just scan websites of people who are in this customer base. And I never really figured out how to filter based on the customer base. Uh, but then I could just email them because like that's right. the way to contact them. <laughs> yeah. And then I could have, oh, I had all these ideas of like, I could have automated screenshots of like, here's what your website look like looks like now. And here's what it could look like by just pasting in this line of JavaScript. It's a nice contact form. Um, and then figure out a way to do that that's not too spammy. Um, is there a target market that comes to mind that you could do cold outreach on that you could just go and see, does this person already have live chat? Um, and if they don't, then you have some standard way, like a, a standard process that you could outsource to a VA of like, here's the email to send to them that's personalized enough that it's not spam, like it is actually going to them as a person. And uh, my sales pitch is, you know, I noticed when I went to your website, you didn't have a live chat thing. Uh, live chat increases customer blah, blah, blah by this percent. Right. Uh, and you can do it with a line if you use Slack. Um, oh, it would be nice to know if they use Slack also. Uh, uh, is, is this ringing any bells? Is it, um, is it resonating? Yes. I, I don't think I know enough about my target market yet. So I think okay. I would start actually, instead of a mass approach like that, I would start by reaching out to people, probably people who I know who have websites that already have live chat. Um, mm. That's probably where I'd start and ask them what they like about it, what they don't like about it, where they found it, you know, mom test kind of questions. Um, for live chat, that's probably where I would start, and then from there try to build the the script that I could, you know, go out into expanding circles. Um, okay. But yeah, I don't think I would start. That, that's that's one reason I said I could do cold outreach, but um, it's probably a lot of wasted effort until I do some of the more you know homework type questions. I want to say Nathan Barry did something like that where he reached out to people just like genuinely trying to understand what they didn't like about Mailchimp, and wasn't selling ConvertKit, but in the process of having those conversations it came up of like, oh, I have my own competing thing that uh, fixes a lot of these. Um, yeah. Okay. Are those, I'm pushing you hard today. Are those conversations you could be having now? Could you be doing those mom test style uh, uh, deploy empathy conversations with people who already have live chat? If that was the, if Acorn chat is the only thing I was working on, yes. Um, okay. But Kaggle's taking up, you know, 80% of my time right now. So. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Uh, cool. GPS of the ship. Bah, bah, bah. Anything else on the uh, ML competitions? Um, not really. Like, I spent all weekend working on a few things uh, for the patent competition, and then they sort of went nowhere. <laughs> like, oh. um, now I just kind of know more things that don't work. And uh, sometimes that's just how it is. I guess it's like that with SAS too, but it's like, you know. It's sort of frustrating, but it's also like, you know, I actually learned a few things, you know, more things about the libraries I'm using and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's not entirely wasted, but it's like I spent a whole weekend worth of, you know, worth of time working on stuff. Like I could have been watching movies or whatever. <laughs> um, 
but instead I, I came away with, you know, no real forward progress on that. So I don't know. Sometimes it's just the way it is. That's frustrating. I think we've talked about this before though, of like expertise is knowing all the ways to do things wrong and yeah. knowing where all the pitfalls are. And so like you've, you've made progress forward by trying different things. I was reminded of this. What was the project I was doing? There was some project I was doing where um, I didn't know how the system was working and, and it was working up to a point, but then something went wrong. And then at that moment I realized, Oh no, I'm in the depths of, (laughs) I I don't know how any of the last four things I did worked. I'm going to have to start all the way. I think this was uh, 3d modeling. I'll, I'll get to that uh, later, but it, uh, because I didn't understand the system and because I didn't know the things to try, I started just messing with things and I wasted a whole bunch of time in like, is this the thing that's broken? And it wasn't, but it was a thing that I didn't understand. And so in the process of messing with it, I gained a better understanding of it and I was able to definitively say, okay, this is not the problem. Let's leave that there and then take the next piece and, and work with that. Um, and it reminded me of in beginning to code, like, everything is a minefield. You're, you're just in a right. swamp and you, you don't know where the steps are. You don't know what's going on. And my God, my first like missing semicolon error, I think took me like an hour to figure out because like the error didn't make sense to me. It was saying, uh, it doesn't recognize the statement. So I was Googling all things like, what's the statement? Oh, yeah. Is it system.out.println? And it's an LN, it's not a capital I. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, and it was a semicolon. And then, you know, from then on, how many times have I had a missing semicolon error that uh, because I went through that work for an hour that one time, it, it uh, I was able to, to discover it that much faster. So, uh, in the moment, it probably felt like I wasn't getting that much done. But over the course of doing this thing, because I gained a better understanding of okay, semicolons are a thing that I need to be paying more attention to. Um, I'm able to do things faster next time. So yeah, uh, you're putting in the work. You're you're doing it. Good job. That's right. Um, in, in AI in particular, I think we've talked about this before, but a lot of the errors, like one of the errors I was getting over the weekend uh, is it, everything still works. It just doesn't work very well. Hmm. And so, and you're like, why isn't this working? And so I spent several hours and it turned out uh, the details are not very important, but I was passing one thing to a function. And I should have been passing another bit of data to a function. And so like everything still yeah. worked, but like I was passing the wrong, <laughs> the wrong thing to a function. And it took uh, several hours, especially because the, the cycles are so long. Like you mm-hmm. do it and then you run it and then an hour later you get the result and it, it's you can shorten that a little bit but it's difficult like mm-hmm. um you really have to go through all the data to see if it works often so um yeah so those are frustrating bugs but i won't do that again so yeah that does sound frustrating to have such a long feedback loop like like when you're baking something you don't find out if you baked it correctly until the very end right <laughs> if, if you know, if it needs more baking soda or something, well, that was that was eight steps ago. We can't go back and add a little bit more baking soda and, and see what would have happened. Um, I think the solution to that is to just try as much as you can to minimize the length of the feedback loop. I had this problem with Firebase Cloud Functions because the, the round trip of like deploying a function and then testing it to see if it worked was taking like eight minutes. And then I would do it the first time and realize, ah, oh, I'm missing a semicolon. <laughs> Let me put that in there and then do it again. And then in the process of it deploying, I would realize, oh no, this other thing's going to be a problem too. And I would do that. And it was just painful. Um, but spending like two days setting up a local development environment where I could be running these things locally and having actual test suites, uh, my God, it, it just made it so much better. Um, I don't, I don't understand the building process of AI. I think it's I think for, for making a, a neural net, it's much more similar to baking a cake where you, changes you make do have to 
go through a whole process to to see that they're correct but uh i guess if you see anything that could potentially speed up that uh feedback loop that that would have disproportionate returns yeah so most of it is like uh, instead of running on your full data set run on a tenth you know or a hundredth of your data set Um, so yeah that's like baking a cupcake instead of the full cake yeah yeah. talked about that too um so yeah uh but the so in this case the particular problem that i was uh um having doesn't show up until you run it on a whole lot of data so like i basically had to run it on a lot of data before i realized what the problem was so i don't I don't think of a, I can't think of a way that I could have shortened the feedback loop in this particular case. Hmm. Makes yeah. sense. Cool. Uh, I have one, two, three, four, I have five categories of things to talk about. And I want All to right. say, <laughs> before you say, I told you so. We, this actually been two weeks since, since the last episode that we recorded. And uh, it was like midway or, or I think it was like a Thursday through the week. And you were like, all right, you want to record the episode today? And I was like, I don't have enough to talk about today. So <laughs> let's just wait until Monday. And there's so much to talk about. There's so many things. To t- so I, we could just riff for an hour. To be, so for next time, I think, I think let's keep recording the episodes because I feel like I'm cramming a little too much in now. Uh, the first two things are quick. And then the last two things are not as quick. Uh, first thing. I think I just want some attaboys for a whole bunch of home improvement and administrative stuff I did. I uh, finished building a shed, which was a lot of fun, uh, and then moved a bunch of stuff into it. And I have this beautiful categorization system of it's all exactly the same sterilite box and exactly the same kind of shelf, and they all slot in and they're all labeled. And oh, ooh, I, I just walk in and it's like <laughs> ah, I can get to anything I need in this in this whole shed. It's it's very nice. Um, I sold my World Domination Summit ticket, and I did not get scammed. Uh, there, the, the episode <laughs> of this podcast is not, dude, where's my conference ticket? Uh, I received money in exchange for goods and services. Uh, I helped my brother move, and I came up with a plan to charge my Tesla at Sarah's condo, which I will be moving into at the end of the week. This is the last podcast that will be recorded in this room. Uh, that, that's, I, I did stuff. Thank you. <laughs> it was hard. Uh, nice yeah good job doing thank sometimes, you sometimes life just you got to do a lot of stuff and yes so, sounds like that kind of week yeah and then there was an extra layer of stuff which is a whole bunch of fun stuff uh saw waitress at uh local theater center uh so good uh written by sarah Borellis. loved it and oh just got sometimes when i watch art i get these chills in my neck mm-hmm. and my back and my spine and oh i got it so many times on the show it was really good uh and then something that took up like five five or six days uh since the last episode our mutual friend shy Schechter was in town and uh he's from england and so i was thinking like ah well what interesting things to do in dallas be from someone who's from england and i came up with a whole bunch of cool things like <laughs> going to a shooting range i had never shot a gun before that's a that's a texas thing pew, pew. <laughs> uh i was able to do that with the uh dea the drug enforcement administration uh because i'm in the middle of taking that class and it just so happened that the dates like perfectly lined up uh so shy got to learn how to shoot guns from the dea in dallas that that (laughs) felt really cool that that lined up uh and then we uh had a bunch of barbecue and i was reminded that like ah texas barbecue is really good and uh fried chicken and tex-mex taco type things uh so that was really fun i feel like i appreciate much more like yeah texas has a culinary flavor <laughs> uh that that is good that you can't really get anywhere else uh and then we drove down to austin and i took advantage of the fact that we were driving down to austin and we're both like tesla nerds uh we rented a tesla model s plaid and oh my god this car is so <laughs> fast it's 
It is the fastest production car. Uh, production car means there are there have been more than like 20 of them produced or something, and you can buy them for money, and there's no crazy alterations you've made to the car. Uh, accelerates 0 to 60 in 1.99 seconds, which is like half a second faster than if the car free fell off a cliff. You're accelerating faster than oh, if you wow. were falling. Yeah. So like, <laughs> when it goes, you just blaster it up against the edge of the seat. It's too fast. <laughs> no one needs a car that goes this fast. But it was really fun to have for like two days. <laughs> just like we came up with all these stupid jokes of like, ah, anytime a Ferrari or a Lamborghini would go by there, we'd be like, oh, look at that car. That looks like a pretty fast car. <laughs> do you think it's? Do you think it's faster than our car? <laughs> just. The entire time. It was it was so obnoxious. <laughs> so uh my takeaway from that is uh if you come to down da- when you come to Dallas, uh I have uh renewed confidence in myself that I can uh entertain you well. There's there's a lot of cool, unique things you can only do in Dallas and I know what they are and uh I, anyone listening to the podcast too, you wanna come to Dallas? I got <laughs> cool things we can do together. Seems like not a very interesting city, but it actually is. There's cool stuff to do. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Neat. Uh, I. Uh, what do I want to say? Uh, in Indianapolis, kind of similar. Like it's not. It doesn't seem like that neat of a city, but there are actually kind of cool places if you go looking for them. So. Um, all right. Yeah. Sometime, if I make it down to Dallas, I will cool. uh, go around. Yeah. Deal. Ah, uh, neat. <laughs> okay. Three more things. The uh, file inbox is the next thing. I'm really proud of myself that even though I had all this administrative and fun stuff going on, I was still able to get some meaningful work done on file inbox. I, uh, through co-working, made a transactional email system that works really well. And I was so amazed by Firebase and I felt like renewed in my architecture choice that the, the transactional email integration took like five minutes, which doesn't sound very impressive because like Rails and Django and all these other things have transactional email templates already baked in. But like, this is deploying it and it's deploying it serverlessly. So it was five minutes like to get a system that sent email that is actually like deployment infrastructure ready. So that felt really good. And in the process of doing this, um, I decided to go a little bit deeper and like make it nice and have a way that I can do this feature I've always wanted to do uh, in transactional email where you have a uh, footer at the bottom of the email that has your product announcements. Um, and then potentially I could do that dynamically based on the user. Like I'm, I'm building the system to be like really flexible and I'm very proud of it. And in working on this, it feels really rock solid. And, uh, I'm happy that I was able to push forward file inbox, even with all this other stuff going on and moving and, uh, getting ready to, uh, get engaged and, uh, uh, yeah, felt, felt good. Yeah. It was neat watching you build it. Cause I've kind of wanted to build that for the last couple of, uh, SASs that I've built and I haven't. And so email has always been sort of weirdly bolted on by me. Uh, so yeah, I think it'll be re- really good that it's built in for you now. Um, much easier to send the emails that you should be sending. So that's good. Yes. Um, also like the, the system for being able to, there's a whole bunch of bad verbiage and things in the, the current emails that I'm not really happy mm-hmm. with. Um, that like I haven't changed because it's buried in code and it requires a code change to do this. So part of the system is all these templates and things are stored in Firebase and can be edited very easily. And so I think this is gonna uh, make it much easier to change them in the future. So that feels really good. Also, Uh, 
something you didn't mention, which I'll give you a yeah. bonus attaboy for, is you traded money for time <laughs> during I this. Did. Yeah, during this thing, like uh, you were making your email templates and you could have designed them all yourself, but instead you found a template for 50 bucks or something and you just bought it and it has all the things you need. And so, yeah, yes. you could have spent a few hours, oh, but I instead about that. you spent some money. And so, uh, yeah, growth. <laughs> yeah, that is personal growth. <laughs> Pass me, if I, like the last time I was doing this, I think I was just looking for whatever the free template was. Um, yeah. And it was a marginal gain of like what was available for free versus what uh, was available if I paid for it. But uh, yeah, and looking at it through this lens of, I'm running a business here and like, is this worth $50? Well, of course, like I've spent way more than $50 of time on it. Um, and, you know, is this going to save me at least $50 a time? Yes, of course. Is it going to produce at least $50 of value? Yes. Well, do it. <laughs> no, and uh, almost no hesitation. I think I thought about it for like 10 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. Um, yeah, that felt really good. And now well, I have this email template that's made by an engineer at MailChimp that like has all these components in it that I can use similar to Tailwind UI. Uh, yeah. Thank you for the attaboy. I, I forgot I did that. Yeah. Also, email templates. So for anyone out there who is thinking about what they could build to sell, um, email templates, um, I'm not saying build an email template, but they're good mm -hmm. because if you do them wrong, then like you, uh, your email will render weird in a whole bunch of clients. There's a, like a ton of different email clients that your customers mm -hmm. might have. And if you render the email wrong, like you won't know um, unless the customer tells you, but they'll just like get weird emails and they'll think that you're sending like badly designed emails. And so like buying mm -hmm. a template, which this guy hopefully like has tested in lots of different email clients um, mm -hmm. is definitely worth it because you know, you, you wouldn't even know that yours is being rendered weird. Um, so mm -hmm. the lesson there is, yeah, if you have some expertise, like, say you are a MailChimp, you know, engineer, and you know all about the different email things and you know what tricks to use to make the HTML right and all the different, you know, email template things, then, then of course you can make better email templates. And uh, then you can talk all about how, you know, how much time you spent, you know, making sure they rendered nicely in different email things. So yeah, figure mm -hmm. out whatever your um, expertise is in. And then, yeah, you can talk about how, you know, you, it took you so long to learn it and all this stuff. And then, you know, here you can just have it for $50 or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was a, a neat uh, lesson in, you know, what sells well, basically. I'd like to talk a little bit more about that because now that now that we're talking about it, his sales funnel was great. I, I Googled something like email template and his open source project on GitHub was one of the top results, which was just a free generic template that had just a basic box and like colors and stuff that you could use. And on the GitHub readme, it had not very prominently, it was, he, he could make that more prominent. He could probably increase the, the conversion between the, the GitHub and uh, his paid page, but he had a link to other templates and the other templates were his site mm, that yep. was his package of like, the, the three different tiers of things that you could buy and uh, and all the different templates um, that were, it, it was like building off of the basic template he did with just the box, but it was like, ah, here's one with a header and here's one with an image banner and here's one with a button and here's one with uh, a nice looking footer and here's one with like a table and here's one that looks like a receipt. Um, and then the, the whole package, the basic package of that was $50 and his two other tiers didn't really resonate to me. Uh, it like included Figma files or something, which I don't mm. use, but maybe that works yeah. better for, for bigger companies. Yeah, for um, a designer, yeah. Yeah, but I, I love the steps of like Google for a thing. He has the top result, which is free. And then that goes into his paid thing, which is better and is gonna save me time in some way. Um, it, it has me thinking about like what are other thing what are what's other work that i've done that i could release a free version of that would rank really high in google that then i could sell a, a 
better version of it um, with all these little like FFMB scripts and things I'm doing. I feel like that would be, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh no, that's exactly how I would do this. The the so like all the FFMPEG work I've been doing of figuring out, okay, here's how you, uh, <laughs> you cut between two different angles in a video, or here's how you crop a video, or here's how you uh, move audio from one to another. Um, those could be landing pages on the site that's like a whole bunch of things of how to do things with FFmpeg. And that could also be in Stack Overflow and on my blog and uh, wherever people would be looking for these. And then that could link to, by the way, if you want to do this cloud rendered, uh, here is the page that does the edit that we're talking about here, where you upload your videos and then you call this API call with uh, uh, links to wherever the videos are. And then it spits out the completed uh, video in that format. Um, yeah, I think that's the that's the closest thing I have right now to, to using that sort of marketing uh, playbook. Yeah, I thought you were going to go even simpler, actually. Instead of doing the whole FFmpeg as a service thing, if you have all of these different calls and scripts and all this information about them, you could package that up and do an ebook uh, type of thing, right? Oh, uh, yeah. And even if all the content's available for free, but it's spread across 200 pages and they all link to the one place where it's all one page, you know, one PDF, mm-hmm. um, that's worked well before for other people. Um, they'd sell it for, you know, 39 bucks or whatever. I like that. That's the stair step approach, too, right? Like, start with a start with yeah. an ebook, don't start with a SAS. <laughs> uh yeah i like that i've been wanting for a while to do a course on ffmpeg too i think that'd be a lot of fun um and i feel like i know a reasonable amount about ffmpeg to do something that would be approachable and useful it's such a powerful tool i think more people would benefit from learning how to use it um does anything come to mind of a thing that you would use this for i think uh something that comes to mind for me is packaging up like these ml math things Mm. uh if you start like answering questions on stack overflow and then linking that back to some whatever your course is for for math for ml um oh another one is the course you're working oh i don't know if i can talk about that the new Uh, course uh i I don't know either (laughs) actually okay (laughs) i I haven't had that meeting yet i might be working on a course (laughs) chris might be working on a course (laughs) um we can talk about it generically it's just like a course and for things people are googling that yeah would pertain to this course uh you, you could be feeding them into the the full course too yeah that's true um most of what i've used ffmpeg for before the reason i like the like you have 200 different pages and they all link to one thing is because it's all been really weird sort of esoteric things so it's like you know i have this video and i want to make a bunch of images out of it but i only want every third image or you know like like strange mm. stuff like that and so if i search for that and you happen to have a landing page and then you're like you know whatever the hook is you know you can also do these other things which are neat with your video or whatever mm-hmm. um then that may have enticed me to buy something uh although in that case uh, that might not be a good case because in that case like i want the one command and then i'm just done right like i use it and then mm-hmm. i get out of there so some of what you're doing is like teaching people that they can use it for more things than they think they can maybe mm-hmm. hmm. i'll have to think about that I think part of the reason this email template thing worked so well is like I was searching for a generic template. But of course the thing that I want is a more fleshed out template with more components. Especially if I'm if I'm Googling for a full template of just like the frame. Like it, it's the difference between like on Tailwind UI if I'm if I'm looking for uh like a, a layout of the shell of the page, well, I'm probably also gonna want the things that go inside that shell. Um could you build so I wonder what that would be for 
video editing and FFmpeg. Could it, hmm. could you build like a, a I'm thinking about like an FFmpeg command builder where you put like a UI on huh. top of it. And it's like a JavaScript page that you can include with your course and yeah, download yeah. it and run it on their own machine. I don't know. I don't know. That's something I've thought about building before that I kind of have internal tooling for. Um, uh, you know what I do? I would do some sales safariing and go find what people are complaining about. FFmpeg. Yeah. yeah, that's a good idea. I've done a lot of it accidentally. Just like the number of Stack Overflow questions I've seen of FFmpeg that I've Googled mm-hmm. because I've had that problem. Like it's it's a quarter of my, uh, of my Chrome history. Um, okay, okay. I feel like I should be applying this to File Inbox. Like, what's what's the problem that <laughs> I can give people a free solution to on File Inbox? Uh, it might be sending files. I think I, I think I want to have a maybe a free tool for sending files that then leads into this is something I thought about before. So if you're trying to send a large file, I want a page where you can just say, "Here's the email address of the person that I'm trying to send the file to," and then I can now I have both of your email addresses, and then I can pull both of you into my email campaign of like do you need to get more files from more people probably if you need to get <laughs> right. this file from someone um that so yeah that might be good i think the two big categories of people you'll get are like people who want to send a you know gigabyte zip file of vacation photos and they want to do it mm-hmm. once and like you know they just want a free tool for that yeah and then the other you'll probably get are a lot of nefarious uses um for a free to like if it was a free tool then I can imagine a lot of illegal stuff happening on that. Um, mm. I think file transfer with a paid tool is different because you can, you know, you they're paying you. Yeah. Um, but I'd be careful about free file transfer stuff. Something, uh, oh, I've forgotten his name. The CEO of Veed, uh, who I met at MicroConf Europe, uh, I, he, <laughs> it was such an interesting conversation because he's like this really high energy guy. <laughs> and he, he came up to me and was like, ah, what are, what are you doing? What are you working on? And I was like, oh, file inbox. <laughs> And he was like, well, I have so many ideas for that. And I was like, well, what would you do? What should I do? And he said, what do you do? You transfer files? You got to do uh, conversions. File conversions have so many Google results. Ah, it'd be great. And then he was like, ah, I got to go. I, I have uh, Sequoia on the phone. <laughs> and then he left. Uh, but but uh, he, so file conversions are something that might be in this category that like, I don't, I, I think I could do that on the browser. And so that wouldn't cost me anything and I don't know that I would care if they were doing conversions of files that were illegal because I don't touch them ever and then file conversions are kind of in the same people converting files are like kind of also doing file transfers uh it it would be a cheap experiment I guess to just like throw up okay (laughs) people want to convert from .doc to .pdf and uh all the other ones um so let me try a few of those and then have a landing page of like now you might want to send that file that doesn't feel like quite a strong little link i don't know i need to i need to chew on that yeah yeah think about it i will think about it the 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 core thing that i got from this email template thing was like it was such a good example of uh what what amy hoy and alex Hillman call an e-bomb of like it was a Mm. it was a thing that was valuable in itself that then led me to hey if you like this and you would like even more value in the same direction that you're trying to get value you can pay me $50 and get so much more value. And you trust me because you just got the free value that was exactly the thing that you wanted. And so you know that if I give you more of that, it's gonna be better. So I, I wanna try to 
think about how to encapsulate more of that in the things I'm building. Um, yeah, that was my takeaway. Does anything spring to mind in that arena for the live chat widget audience? Uh, what, is there is there free value you could provide to them that what is like self-contained, encapsulated? Uh, I mean, the biggest one is freemium. Like most most of them are, have freemium offerings. Yeah. Um, but that's not really self-contained. Uh, I'm sure I could think of loads of things. I thought of a few engineering is marketing kind of things for the type of people who. Um, I think should have free chat. Some of it's like, I think I made a list and now I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but it was like, um, like guides for things or I don't remember anymore. <laughs> I should look up that list, but yeah, th there were some things that I could think of, but they were, uh, in that sort of either SEO attraction magnet kind of things or engineering is marketing sort of like tools that, um, could then be yeah used by the people who would also want to pay for a live chat hmm. i know that's vague but i just can't remember anything off the top of my head right now <laughs> that's fair uh i, I really want to start be I, I want to start thinking about marketing a lot more because like i'm thinking about starting a family and i having more money makes it easier to have a family <laughs> and so uh i i will very soon have a lot of avenues of places to spend money that are not myself. Uh, and so then, and like the best way that I've figured out how to make money is through software as a service. And my biggest shortcoming in that is not in building the software. It's in how do I market better? So yeah, I, I just want to think about that more sali saliently. Um, what, are, what are possible marketing things that I could do that would, would push this forward? And what are the, what are the formulas for doing that? Uh, yeah okay which i guess like that's been the whole point of this podcast too right like how, how do we figure out how to do marketing yeah. <laughs> it's still a still a thing we're trying to work on um cool i have two more things i would like to talk about uh the first of those last two things is that i am i think i've refer uh referenced this before i'm uh making a ring i'm uh yep. making from scratch the engagement ring that i will propose to sarah uh it's very exciting uh, lots of personal growth. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I'm excited and scared and, uh, but the ring part is a lot of fun and, um, making it from scratch, like designing it from 3d modeling and, uh, then printing it on a, uh, resin printer that I got and then doing the lost wax casting on it to cast it into metal. And so this last week I did the modeling of it, um, doing it with a program called open SCAD, which works so well for my brain it's like primitives in 3d that that's just code and you write the code and then the code generates the 3d model and then you can export that to an stl and that just makes so much more sense to me than uh something like solidworks where uh, you're clicking and pointing and you do something and then you're like oh i need to change something four steps ago and you have to like undo and it, it ah, ah, ah don't like it uh <laughs> but the code is just so simple and it's just a line and it does what you want it to do and then if you want to do that a hundred times you just put it in a loop and all these paradigms i know from coding just apply and it works really well um and i learned uh about two things that like unlocked a lot of potential in this for me of there have been some designs of things that have been trapped in my head for a long time of like replacement parts for things that don't work um, that I just haven't known enough 3D modeling to be able to do. And now that I learned these two concepts, I feel like I can design a lot more things. Uh, so the first thing is a function in OpenSCAD called hull, which takes 
any number of parameters that can be either all 3D objects or either all 2D objects. And whole uh, saran wraps them together and makes a new shape out of all of those pieces. So like if you want to make a rounded a rounded rectangular prism, I think it would be called, like a like a box with rounded rounded edges. You can just make four spheres, no, four four cylinders at each of the corners of the box and then you hold those together and then it makes like a cube with uh rounded uh edges. So like man, from that I I can do so many different things. So uh but that combined with this next thing uh which are bezier curves, my favorite type of curve. Uh, which is like how you define uh, uh, arbitrary curve. It was coined by the student in Bezier who worked for this car company like 100 years ago, and he was trying to figure out a, a clever way that he could define curves. Um, and it just uses like you're, you're starting an ending point and then uh, any number of control points. You only really need one control point for basic curves. Um, but then you find that the midpoint Ah, this is really hard to describe. <laughs> so you have your starting points A and B, um, and you have your control point C, and you make a line from A to C, and then you make a line from C to B, and then you trace along the lines A, C, and B, C, and then for any, so, you know, if you're like 10% along the way, you're, you're 10% from A to C, and you're 10% from C to B. Now, using those two points, you find the midpoint of that line, and then that's the point that you draw your curve on, and then it makes these beautiful curves. And by moving around the control point C, you can uh, make any sort of curve that you want. And, uh, yeah, so so using that combined with hull, I'm able to do things like, here's the curve of this three-dimensional ring that I want, uh, going up to like the prongs that are gonna hold the gem in. Um, follow this Bezier curve, and it, at each of the points along the line, and you know, take your starting and ending points and split it up into whatever, 100, draw a sphere, and then hold that sphere with the next sphere in the line. And now I'm able to draw these beautiful, like, and I can change like the shape of the thing that I'm drawing, and it's just so cool. And I'm, I have so many ideas now for like, if anything that I can define a curve for in three-dimensional space, I can now make into a 3D object by just drawing spheres at those points and then hulling them together. So uh, that feels really cool. And uh, it's a skill that I've wanted to do for a long time. Uh, so now I know more about 3D modeling. Uh, it feels cool. Cool. Uh, yeah, I didn't know there was, I mean, I should have expected, but uh, I didn't know there was a, like an open source CAD thing that you could do with uh, code. Uh, so that's cool. Um, if I ever get a 3D printer, I'll have to check that out. Um, <laughs> do you not have a 3D yeah. printer? They're like $100. It's no. I, I know. Uh, I, yeah, we sort of talked about this. I don't have one because I know I'd use it twice and then it would sit on a shelf. Okay. I don't need another thing sitting on a shelf. So. Oh, I think we did talk about this when I when I got my first one. Uh, I have two of them now. Uh, I have this. <laughs> the resin ones are... Do not get a resin one. They're nuts. They take way too much time. It's toxic. There's like four different ways that you could poison yourself and <laughs> get cancer. And lots, lots of chemicals. Oh, and it's awful. Yeah. And it smells yeah. terrible. And like, the, you have to clean it off every time and you have to wear gloves and it gets on your hands and it just smells awful and like switching resin or if the resin is sitting there for longer than 24 hours you have to pour it all out and then clean everything off with paper towels but then you can't throw the paper towels away because it's resin and like it's an environmental <laughs> hazard so you either have to throw it away with like a special toxic environmental something office or you can cure the paper towels with uh, ultraviolet light 
which I think is what I'm going to do. And then you can throw it away in the regular trash. But like, man, it's it's nasty stuff. But the prints you get out of it, oh my gosh, they're so good. They're so, it's little tiny, tiny little text engraved and stuff and you can make it out and oh, it's, it's beautiful. It, it's really fast also because it's just like a light shining up on a screen. Um, and then the cure time per layer is only a couple of seconds. Um, and then depending on the level of detail you want, uh, it determines the number of slices you're going to do and how fast it goes up. But like for, for something ring size, it was taking 45 minutes to do really, really fine detail. And then because, because it's doing an entire layer at a time, it takes no extra time to do a whole bunch of stuff. Like if you're just, mm. if you're making one solid block, that's the height of your ring, that would take as much time, but a lot more resin as it would to just make a single ring. So I can print like six of them at a time and it takes the same uh, amount of time at the, at the same level of detail. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's really cool. Um, and I feel cool that I have picked up a new skill. <laughs> uh, yeah, that does sound cool, but it's also something else that I don't need to be doing right now. So yeah. <laughs> That's the theme of this podcast. I think it's there's just too much to do. The world is so big and open and there's, there's a yeah, lot of yeah. stuff to do. Um, I have the Elegoo Mars 3, by the way, resin printer, and it's really good. Uh, I want to finish the design of that today, and you were helping with that. Uh, th there was uh, a curve. Trying to approximate a circle with a Bezier curve is difficult and involved a lot of math. My desk is strewn right now with all these like geometric designs and stuff, and uh, I gave you one of the problems. You were like, oh, it's, you know, <laughs> uh, something squared to two cosine of this. And I was like, how the heck did you get that? Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of my geometry days, and uh, it's that's just it's fun new problems to think about and mathematical so i like that uh last thing i wanted to talk about i re-listened to episode five of our podcast that's where you brought up tiktok development for the first time that wasn't a term that i'd heard before uh and that's kind of what we're doing now you're tiktok in between the uh, ml competitions and sas stuff i'm tiktoking between sas stuff and this ring and uh i had a really funny quote in that show that I was trying to figure out the optimal number of products to work on at the same time. And I think I said it was somewhere between one and 12. <laughs> 12 projects is too many. Christian of the past, what were you thinking? There's a lot. Yeah, so I, I think with my new wiser uh, episode 75 perspective, uh, I think the correct number is like have one main project and then have one side project. And you can swap out the side project, but don't swap out the main project. And then the second chunk of time is minutia and administrative stuff and just random stuff that comes up that you that you need to do. Um, so I think that clarifies a lot more that if I have an idea for a new side project I want to do, I can, but that's going to take the place of whatever the other side project I'm doing now is. And it's, it's much more effective for me to be just working through these things sequentially and like work on the side project until it's done and then work on the next thing. Um, so that that feels good um any insight that you've had into like number of side projects and doing this concurrent work or tech tech development i feel uh, like you've been you've been consistently less distracted than me for the course of the podcast i've, I've learned a lot from you about uh focusing I, on fewer things i don't know if that's true at all i've started <laughs> several new things <laughs> um part, part of the reason i like the ml competitions is because every three months they turn over like mm. they're only three months long um so and i'm doing three of them at once right now which is a lot and i'm about to start a fourth one actually but uh anyway um so that's probably too many things but i like it so <laughs> i'm gonna do it 
uh yeah but they're only three months long so that that i, I like i like things of that length mm. i guess for yeah. you i'm sort of clustering all of your ml stuff into one side project oh, okay. like your masters sure. and the and the different uh Kaggle competitions but i guess that's not entirely accurate because it is like you are doing context switching and it is a, a separate project for each of these competitions hmm it is and sometimes it's super aggressive context switching so like uh, i will run a model right and it takes an hour to run mm. so i'll run that and then i'll switch completely to a different project which doesn't need to use my gpu like my g i part of the problem is i only have one gpu and i can only run one one thing at once uh so i want to buy another one but it's very expensive um <laughs> but anyway uh yeah and so yeah like sometimes i context switch every hour which is pretty aggressive mm. um yeah Anecdotally, I think the best context switching period is like maybe one in the day. And usually yeah. that's main work to administrative work or main work to building a shed or something. Um, maybe, maybe two if I, if I do something else in the afternoon um, or the like early evening. Um, yeah. Yeah. Once an hour, I think it's too many for me. Um, I guess if they're related, if, if it's all ML related stuff and it's like the same IDE that you have open, that's been something nice about using open SCAD is like I'm using sublime and I, mm. all my Vim shortcuts work and it's code. So the, the cost of the context, switch is much lower than if I was switching to something like SolidWorks and had to yeah. use my mouse instead of, uh, the, the keyboard and all the tools I'm familiar with. I'm just like the, most of the cost of the switch is just switching from the thing I'm working on is rendering in a browser to the thing I'm working on is rendering in this weird old program called OpenSCAD. Um, but it's otherwise like my windows are in the same place and I'm, I'm still editing it in the same place. And uh, that, that the cost of the context, which feels much lower. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, being all ML stuff is, a, yeah, it's a little less context switchy than yeah. Switching between building a shed and mm. uh, doing programming. Sure. Yeah. Yep. two other things that uh i noted from episode five at the time i was working on one palm every weekday but i only did it for three days i think because i was traveling for thanksgiving <laughs> or something um and it feels really good to know that like my current pace right now which feels very manageable is getting more done in a day than i got done in that entire week that feels really good and i think the trick coming up is going to be can i pivot that into marketing once mm. this serverless transition is done i know it deep in my bones that i need to like put code down and just market the heck out of this um and it's going to be hard and it's going to be uncomfortable and i will need your help and support to push me through and that's what needs to happen and if i can be doing that at the same pace that i'm doing development and not getting discouraged when like i've spent three weeks on this and nothing's happened because that's the same with development right like you, you gotta do a bunch of work and then you know it suddenly things happen all at once um i think it's going to unlock a lot in file inbox growth potential and that's what i want to do um do you feel like you're working more or less more focused the same than uh i i don't know i was uh i've, I've watched youtube less during the day so i probably am getting more work done. yeah same um yeah that's true um, also i will say i will just do uh what you 
uh, do to me, which is like, so today I got my response back from the Slack app store people. And, uh, I was like, I'm gonna work on ML. And you're like, ah, ah, ah you, uh, <laughs> you got your response back. You need to do at least one palm on Acorn Tet. And I was yes. like, okay, fine. And so I did. Uh, and I felt good. Now I'm half done with the, well, I'm done with half of the items. The rest of the items <laughs> probably will take a palm each there. <laughs> I did the easy ones first. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think it's good to keep each other accountable. That's fine. Yeah, that's why we do the co-working. So. I appreciate you keeping me accountable. Um, one last thing that I noted from episode five, I was so caught up in picking the correct niche. I had like all these uh, spreadsheet of stuff that I did and I felt guilty at the time of that I, I had had the data for like a year and hadn't done anything with it. And it's been more than a year since then and I still haven't really done anything with it that, that's translated to marketing. And I had the thought while I was listening to it, like, if I had just done stuff instead of trying to pick the optimal niche to start with, if I had just, if I had done it badly with like the worst niche I could have possibly picked and started making pages for them, I would have been so much further ahead than like I would have had something. And, and after doing that, I would have learned something and then done it again. And um, I, I it, it was a good reminder to not get too caught up in picking the optimal way to do something and instead if i don't if i don't know which way to go forward it is a perfectly legitimate and probably optimal choice to just pick an arbitrary direction and go forward and see what happens um which i think is a good just general life skill if ever you're stuck just pick a direction and start walking and see what happens um and then in the process of walking you'll you'll learn more and uh you can iterate from there so that's that's what i want to do once i switch into marketing mode yeah and that's we relearn this lesson every couple of months on this podcast. I think we have uh, multiple podcasts about it. Um, but yeah, like getting started uh, and just doing anything is better than not doing anything. So uh, okay. yeah, I mean, it's good to look back and relearn the lesson again and again. So yeah. I started this episode by saying that uh, we should not have skipped last episode because I uh, would have run out of stuff to talk about. Uh, and that, that was dumb. And we, we, like we should have done the previous episode. But we're uh, like seven minutes short of where we usually are. And uh, I feel like I've said everything I want to say. Uh, so anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I had one more thing, which is completely uh, out of random. But so I get tinnitus sometimes, which is a ringing in the ears. Mm. And most of the time I either just ignore it or like it's, it doesn't happen all the time. So it's fine. But since last night I've had it and like my brain is not able to like I, maybe right now because the headphones are on, mm. but like this whole time I've, I've been able to hear the ringing. Oof. So if anyone has any good tinnitus tips, uh, let me know. And I don't know why, like I didn't do anything weird yesterday or anything, but yeah. Uh, so it's particularly bad today for some reason. Hmm. That sucks. I don't know. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, sometimes it's like this and it's like kind of annoying for a day but most of the time i don't hear it at all so it mm. doesn't matter um what i should do probably is so if you go to pub pubmed.gov mm. i don't know if you know about this but it's publicly funded research about stuff mm. so i should go there and type in tinnitus i think i did that a while ago but um it's like you can find the latest research papers about whatever health thing you're looking for and it's u.s government funded um that's cool i should do that my former college roommate is a emergency medical physician and is currently in a, a wilderness medicine fellowship and i had an interaction with him a couple of years ago where i asked him about something like this and he, he went to pubmed and like looked up the, the oh, yeah. uh, study and i was like who are you what what person does this <laughs> like looking at the at the actual research uh it's interesting to find out that you are the same sort of person who uh <laughs> through yeah and like that's how much better is that than just googling it and then you get the blog spam right that's four layers removed from what the actual article was. You can you can go and read the actual article and without the sensationalist headlines of like 
eat pomegranates to cure right. retinitis. And okay, well, that came from this study that looked at these 12 different types of food and found, you know, a, a statistically significant correlation between people who ate, you know, foods high in vitamins and tinnitus recovery or something. Um, it, it's, it's better to have like a, a lower level handle on what the actual data is. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm a bit curious to see what you find from your PubMed. Yeah, I think I'll do that right after this. Um, the other site to know about, if you are more interested in computer research, uh, particularly AI, ML stuff, but it's any computer research and even other research too, um, is Archive. Do you know about this? A-R-I-X... Oh, wait. R... Now I can't spell oh, it. Oh, no. A-R-X-I-V. A-R-X-I-V. Yeah. Dot org. Um, so they have physics, mathematics, quantitative biology, computer science, quantitative finance, statistics, electrical engineering, and system science, and Whoa. economics. And um, what this is, is the writers of the papers submit to archive as pre-published work. And then and then after that, it goes into journals like Nature or ACM, ACL or whatever. And That's But you have cool. to pay for like Nature and the other journals. But if you go to archive, you get the preprints right directly from the authors. So it's like free research for all those different topics. So cool. if you don't know about that, go there and browse for whatever topic might be interesting you there's tons of uh, i go there for ai stuff all the time but tons of interesting research papers on all sorts of stuff what what's a sort of thing that you would search for on ai so oh so like so i'm in the cal competition about with gnss gnss data so mm -hmm. i went to archive and typed gnss and i found all the latest you know like you know cutting edge research like stuff released even like, like last month um about what people are doing with gnss and you can do like gnss plus deep learning and you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, I cool. do a lot for the cow competitions. That's really cool. It's interesting to me that we're still on PDFs with this, that like they're still optimizing for, for print. <laughs> there <laughs> is. So they just released an HTML5 version. Um, okay. It's 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 in beta. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, cutting edge. <laughs> yep. <laughs> beta web pages. Um, I imagine they all just have these like in LaTeX. In LaTeX. Yeah, can it is. It's all to HTML, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Okay. You, I think so. Yeah. Yep. I think what I want is for everybody to just publish their LaTeX source code, and then you can compile it mm. to whatever you want. Hmm. I just pulled up a random paper, and there are lots of pretty graphs that I have no idea uh, <laughs> the meaning of, but it looks really cool. Uh, I was just looking at papers this morning to try to figure out that circle bezier curve thing and i felt oh, so yeah. cool like reading a paper that <laughs> pertained to the exact question i was i was trying to answer uh that was really cool yeah if you do read right. yeah i was gonna say if you do read papers by the way don't try to read them straight through read the abstract mm. and then look at the pretty pictures and then yeah pick sections from there but yeah if you try to read papers straight through it's it's a mess there's a pdf i stumbled on a while ago that was how to read a paper and it had a method that, mm. that was like that and walked you through step by step like and then there's like four different layers that you read through the actual paper and you can do it in increasing levels of uh, difficulty. Oh, how to read a book also by something mm. Mortimer, I think, uh, is, is the same sort of method, but for an entire book, you'd start with like the title and the table of contents and then you kind of flip through and then that's the first pass and then you go another pass one layer deeper and then you do a third pass and a fourth pass and each pass is higher resolution, but you're, you're getting the entire picture the whole time. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's a much more effective way to retain uh, and understand complicated information. Yep. Yep. Sounds right. Cool. Chris, that's all I got. That's all I got too. Then I'll see you next week. Goodbye.